Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insight. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money m o r p h o s i s dot com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Welcome to the show. This is Crystal Arnold, your hostess and the founder of Money Morphosis. So pleased to be here today. There are certain people who. Um, really bring forth uh, wisdom that is very important at this time of transition in our world. And our guest today, Judy Wicks, is certainly one of those women. She um, has really been a pioneer um, who I have respected for uh, many years now in her work with um, really uh, being a purpose-driven entrepreneur and, um, and how we can use our businesses to uh, uh, catalyze the kind of change that we want to see. And I feel like this is more important now than ever, that we have these conversations, um, a intergenerational conversations we were just uh, speaking and she's about to turn 70 and I'm 35 years old and so I really am excited to explore uh, what what inspiration we can offer you listeners today around what is possible in your own businesses and communities and everyday choices that we make in our lives because I really feel like it's a time where more and more people are waking up to this urge to have a meaningful contribution and to really have a significant impact on uh, the generations to come. And so it's not business as usual anymore. And so we need to really look at the pioneers who have been uh, speaking to this need for uh, a new way of, of doing business and, and who have created uh, visions of, of what a different economic system would look like and how we can localize our economy and bring more of our money uh, into our local communities. Um, and so let's uh, I'd like to introduce Judy Wicks to you, who has been an author, activist, and entrepreneur. Uh, she founded Philadelphia's iconic White Dog Cafe in 1983, and uh, this became a pioneer in the farm-to-table movement and a model in sustainable business practices. She is the founder of Fair Food Philly, uh, in 2000, and then the Sustainable Business Network of Greater Philadelphia, and also the Nationwide Bali, um, which is an acronym standing for the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies, and that was in 2001. In her retail 
uh, career, Judy founded Black Cat, which fe featured locally made and fair trade gifts for 20 years. And in 1970, she co-founded the original Free People's Store, now well-known as Urban Outfitters, although they're no longer affiliated. Uh, and so uh, Judy's work has earned numerous local and national awards, including the James Beard Foundation Humanitarian of the Year Award um, and, and several others related to her um, restaurant and was even inducted into the University Science Center's Innovators Walk of Fame in 2016. And more recent, uh, recently, Judy's acclaimed memoir called Good Morning, Beautiful Business won a National Gold Medal for Business Leadership. And uh, she really continues to uh, work to build a new economy of beautiful businesses and mentors uh, for the next generation of entrepreneurs um, in Philadelphia near where she lives. And you can find out more at her website, www.judywicks.com. So Judy, I would love to begin just by hearing a little bit more about the journey that brought you um, to become such a social innovator and uh, leader, and in particular with your interest and work in building, you know, just and vibrant local economies. So thank you for being here. You're welcome, Crystal. Great to be in this conversation. Hmm. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about um, your your story and uh, you know that that urge uh, to be a real social innovator and pioneer in the ways that you have been. Well, um, you know, I guess for me, I, I never really uh, planned to do that. It was um, a kind of an unfolding um, and uh, you know going where I, I felt led. Um, so, for instance, when I started the White Dog back in 1983, uh, I had never heard of responsible business or sustainability or fair trade or any of those terms that are so familiar to me now. Um, I just wanted to have um, a cozy cafe um, where people could gather and talk about the issues of the day and have a good, wholesome uh, food from local farms. So uh, the rest of it came gradually as I learned uh, from my business um, about um, how I could best express my, my values um, through my work. Uh, so it wasn't, um, it was really a, a gradual thing um, and it, it continues even at, at, at 70. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's really what we learned uh, along the way and, and uh, how, how we, how we um, uh, continue to evolve in our in aligning our lives with with our our passions and our values. Hmm. Yes. Yes. I, so I'd love to hear more about how how you kind of began to innovate and and share information with uh, other businesses to uh, to kind of you know enliven your local economy. Well, uh, in the beginning, um, I. It wasn't so much about uh, working with other businesses because for everyone who has started a, a small business before, you know that um, really 100% of your 
effort goes into getting that business off the ground. So uh, in the beginning, I was uh, simply trying to keep my head above water um, and uh, be successful, you know, to stay in business. Um, and as I became more successful, I was able to incorporate more, you know, activities, you know, into into uh, my into my work uh, that were more about social change and activism. Um, so, you know, I guess one thing was that I soon learned uh, that I, I didn't, um, I couldn't separate um, my interests from my uh, work because there wouldn't be any time to get to my interests. In other words, you know, we're often grow up thinking that uh, we do our work nine to five, Monday through Friday, and then on the weekends or after work on the evenings, we address um, the issues that we care about and get involved with organizations, civic organizations or nonprofits or whatever, or start projects. But when you're in the restaurant business, there, there, there is no time off. Um, you know, my restaurant was open seven days a week. And in the beginning, we actually served uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We finally gave up breakfast. <laughs> I mean, it was just a little too much. But um, the point being that I realized that um, I was never going to have that time off to um, – uh, to work on issues that I cared about. And so um, for time management reasons, I started to incorporate the issues that um, mattered to me in, into my work. So, um, and that took many different forms. Uh, of course, uh, there are values that are part of the work as well. I mean, um, you know, I, I mentioned that I had never heard the term fair trade, but, um, you know, as I or tea or split uh, um, and learned about the horrendous working conditions that are often are the case uh, for growers that are producing uh, coffee or chocolate or other uh, products, then I, I, I learned about fair trade and committed myself to buying um, fair trade uh, where the growers of the products I would use in the restaurant would get a be paid a living wage. And the same thing with the environment. I was always uh, I always cared about the environment, about nature. My parents um, uh, were campers, and um, I we spent our vacations tenting and building campfires and so on. And, and so I I always I grew up with a love of nature, but um, back in those days there, there wasn't an environmental movement, so to speak. And so um, as I um, got in, into into business and and started to realize how. Uh, businesses affect the environment even more than households do because we have more more impact uh, the way that we conduct business, whether it's about buying renewable electricity or buying uh, organic food or whatever that are uh, that we we have an impact on um, on the environment and on other people that's much greater than uh, in our own uh, personal lives. Um, so then I, I just be- began to learn, uh, you know, about. Um, sustainable practices and uh, I guess you know starting with um, uh, buying organic food uh, that is raised in the way that that uh, enriches the soil and doesn't deplete soil um, and it doesn't use um, you know pesticides and fertilizers that are harmful to the soil and humans uh, as well and animals um, and uh, so it was all a learning pro- process. And as I found out about things, I incorporated these practices, you know, into my uh, business. But then more than that, I, I started to um, have programs on the, on the issues that I cared about. Um, and some of these were directly related to the 
to the business. And for instance, having the, the dance of the ripe tomatoes where I would invite my farmers in uh, for dinner to meet my customers. And we would recognize all the different farmers and um, talk about why it's important to grow organic. And uh, then I, I got into um, understanding about uh, the factory farming of meat and how horrendous it is, the lives of um, of um, chickens in, in the battery cages and the lives of uh, the, the mother sows and um, you know in in the fa- factory farms um, and the milk milking cows the dairy cows how, how brutal their lives are and um, so as I discovered these things um, you know changed my practices but I also began to educate educate my my clientele by having events like the dance of the ripe tomato or the farmer Sunday supper and also publishing a uh, newsletter that would have editorials uh, by me about uh, uh, these different subjects and, and um, announce the various events we were having. Um, but then I, I started getting engaged with issues that a restaurant would normally not do. Um, at the time, uh, back in the 80s, I was very concerned about the um, growing um, violence in Central America that was perpetuated by the United States. And I, I, um, I thought, well, there's such a thing as a sister city uh, where um, it's a way of understanding what's going on in another place. How about a sister restaurant? So I decided to have a, a Nicaraguan sister restaurant so that I could have a vehicle for um, becoming knowledgeable of um, what was uh, happening in Nicaragua. Uh, was Reagan's funding of the counter-revolutionaries um, what he said it was, which is to uh, that the Sandinistas were communists and that uh, the Contras were freedom fighters, or were we being duped as we were back in mm. the Vietnam days? Um, you know, I grew up in in the '60s, and it was my my friends in high school that were being sent to die in Vietnam. And and in the beginning, I I said what my father and the other men in my town said, which is, if you don't want to go and fight for your country, then you you, you should move to the Soviet Union. You know. But then, you know, after being lied to by our government, um, I found out, um, you know, that we as citizens need to become knowledgeable. So long story short, I decided to start this international sister restaurant project where I would establish um, sister relationships with restaurants in countries that were at odds with the U.S. government as a way to become knowledgeable, become knowledgeable citizens of what our foreign policy, um, how it affected the lives of people in different countries. Um, so that's just an example. We ended up with sister restaurant relationships in Nicaragua and um, the Soviet Union and Vietnam and Cuba. Uh, we kind of nicknamed it uh, Eating with the Enemy. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, what I am so appreciating about uh, what you just shared is I, I see you as such a feminine leader, and I see in large part that's because of the way that you've built relationships in so many different areas uh, of, you know, uh, beginning with your restaurant and the farmers and the customers and then these sister restaurants and then on and on throughout your um, amazing uh, work is just uh, seems like those creating relationships that are transparent, that have integrity and trust and where people can see a mutual common interest and uh, really work towards that shared purpose seems incredibly powerful and important, especially today, given so much polarization and, um, and the current situation of our country. 
Um, would you like to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, qualities of feminine leadership and how that is needed to balance the, the masculine uh, economy and business environment? Yeah, well, um, I mean, you, you hit on it um, uh, right from the start there when you talk about relationships, because I think that um, uh, uh, feminine energy um, often is, is um, tied to um, uh, re- relationships. Of, uh, In fact, I, I feel that business is about relationships, that money is simply a tool, uh, that business is about relationships with everybody that we buy from and sell to and work with and um, about our relationship with uh, with Earth itself, with a, with the environment, and I think that um, um, the feminine energy um, is 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 really at its heart about nurturing relationships, um, having positive nurturing relationships with other people, with animals, with nature, um, and um, you know, and I and I feel that that's been lacking um, in our uh, economy that um, and when I talk about feminine and masculine energy I'm not talking about gender although um, you know it's often the case because of the way we're raised uh, um, and because of our role as uh, women being uh, mothers um, I think we are tend to uh, carry uh, more feminine energy but it's not always the case and it's really the balance of the two um, in everyone whether we're a man or a woman uh, that I feel is the key to successful living and the key to having a, an economy that uh, works uh, for everyone and works for nature. Uh, and I, I feel that our economy is sorely out of balance. Uh, that, um, uh, well, you know, I can say that, uh, just to explain this a bit, um, a farmer friend of mine once said that good farming is the balance between the masculine and the feminine. And he uh, characterized the masculine as being about uh, efficiency and the feminine as being about nurturing and that mm-hmm. to have good farming, you have to have both. So, you know, if you're, if you have too much uh, masculine energy and not enough um, uh, feminine that you might have a very well-run farm because you're using your time in an, an efficient way. Um, but um, you know, you, you won't have a good product. You won't have good tomatoes or healthy chickens if you're, if you don't have the nurturing part of it. On the other hand, if you have too much uh, feminine energy and not enough masculine, you might have um, beautiful tomatoes and healthy chickens, but you're going to go out of business because uh, you're not using your time in an efficient way. Um, so it's that, it's that balance. And I've certainly been in groups where there's too much feminine energy. There's too much um, nurturing and, and uh, not enough efficiency of getting things done. Um, and on the other hand, uh, you know, I feel like our economy is definitely weighted uh, towards the masculine. And I think, you know, to me, where I see that most clearly is in, uh, in farming uh, itself, especially in, in animal husbandry, that, um, you know, the, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but by far the majority, maybe even 90, 95% of the pork, for instance, uh, in our country uh, comes from uh, pigs that are raised in factories as opposed to on pasture. Um, and it's just a terrible, cruel um, environment where the mother sows are kept in, in, uh, in, in these crates where they can't even turn around or take a step forward their entire lives, uh, artificially inseminated. Uh, their babies are taken away early, prematurely, artificially inseminated again. Um, so, you know, they're just like a piece of, uh, of, of equipment, you know, in a, in a factory. And uh, that to me is the ultimate 
um, example of um, a lack of nurturing um, and where the total focus is on efficiency. It's about, like, how little space can we give um, the mother pig or the mother uh, chicken? You know, uh, how little how little food, uh, how little light and air uh, can we get away with uh, so that we can have the cheapest pork or the cheapest egg? Um, mm-hmm. And there's no thought whatsoever of nurturing, of what the actual needs of, of the animal are. Um, so that's what I, I, I see. And, and you can see this in almost every industry, uh, this lack of balance between the masculine and the feminine. And I feel that uh, feminine energy is rising right now. Uh, due due to you know many uh, crises you know um, you know in our in our country and in the world. Mm. I agree. I really um, see that um, as you said, coming forth in both men and women and in the very systems, and especially you know with both of our interests in economics and. Uh, creating, you know, what what I like to call a more life-affirming economy that does, you know, honor these exchanges and does have um, greater transparency and integrity in the system. Um, And, uh, you know, I I think the way that you were able to, um, you know, more openly share information around how you were sourcing your uh, products for the restaurant, you know, really empowered other businesses to also make more informed uh, decisions. Anything you'd like to share about that? Yeah, well, I think that was really the the turning point in my life. Um, I had once I found out about the cruelties of the factory farm uh, system, I, uh, along with my chef. Uh, spent a lot of energy uh, looking for sources of um, for uh, pork and, and, and chicken and, and beef and so on uh, from farms that treated local farms, family farms that treated the animals with respect and, um, and, 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 and gave them a natural lifestyle where they could really be a pig or be a chicken or be a cow or whatever. Um, and so it took a while to, to build this up uh, to have to find the supply route. Um, for everything on our menu. And I finally got to the point where I looked at my menu and thought, well, we've finally done it. You know, all of our our meat and poultry and animal products come from small family farms. Um, And I was very uh, proud of that. And I thought, well, gee, this is going to be our market niche, that not a other restaurant in Philadelphia was um, doing that uh, to the extent that we were by any means, and that this would be our competitive advantage, what we were known for. Uh, but then uh, at some point I had this transformational moment where I realized that uh, if I really did care about the, the farm animals, if I really did care about the uh, the environment that was being polluted by these factory farms where there was a concentration of manure that was polluting our water and our air and our land and so on, if I cared about the uh, small farmers that were being driven out of business by these large factory farms, if I cared about the consumers who are eating meat full of uh, antibiotics and hormones and so on, then rather than keeping this um, supply list uh, to myself, uh, having this be my competitive advantage, uh, I would actually share uh, my suppliers with my competitors. Um, And that was a real transformational moment for me uh, when I really moved from uh, seeing that my, my highest goals were to have good practices within my business, whether it was, you know, buying humanely and organically or using renewable energy, whatever, uh, that that wasn't enough, that we needed to build whole systems that have these values. 
And in order to build a whole system for our region, a local uh, food system uh, that was humane and organic and so on, that I had to work in collaboration, including with my competitors, uh, to build such a system. So um, I like to say that that's when I moved from me to we, um, to really see things in a, in a collective way. Um, and I think that's also a very, uh, you know, a, a feminine uh, trait um, to, um, to, again, to see our relationships, uh, see our relationships with the animals, with the environment, with the farmers, you know, and with our competitors. And this, is, this isn't to say that there's no longer competition because, you know, even though we might work cooperatively to build a local food system and to um, support our local farmers, then the chefs compete uh, to see who can make the best dishes you know, out of the, the local ingredients. Um, and that's a good thing. Uh, it's a healthy thing for uh, the restaurants. It's a healthy thing for our consumers um, to have that friendly competition. But it's not the kind of competition where you're trying to put the other guy out of business or um, have a monopoly or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a, a friendly competition. Um, like, you know, playing uh, basketball together or something. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I, I think that that was, uh, you know, and in that, in that moment is when I realized that there, there is no such thing as one sustainable business, no matter how good our, 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 our practices are, you know, buying renewable and whatnot, um, that we can, uh, we can only, um, we can only be a, a sustainable by, by, uh, building sustainable systems uh, that there that we we can't be a, sus- a sustainable business in isolation. So mm. um, that it, it takes it takes system building and, and cooperation. That cooperation and sharing is a fundamental value um, in building a, a uh, sustainable economy. Um, and that's mm. a real shift for Americans because we're we've been raised to be very individualistic. Um, and so the idea that we would share with our competitors and um, that we would work in cooperation is, is not something that comes easy uh, for Americans, especially uh, entrepreneurs. Hmm. Oh, thank you for sharing that pivotal moment of, uh, of turning towards others as, as cooperation for your bigger why and, and that bigger purpose of uh, that was driving you. And I feel like that's really um, Yes, what what we need more of, because ultimately that creates greater resilience in the system when we have stronger relationships and are able to respond to changing conditions as individuals within our businesses, uh, within our communities, as we can create these conditions and systems for information exchange and for open, transparent sharing, then we can better adapt to whatever changes are coming. So I I love how you really put that into practice and how we've been able to see the blossoming of, of those choices over the last decades. It's amazing, Judy. Hmm. Um, Thank you. I'd like to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, I'd, I'd really like to hear more about, um, the indigenous wisdom and what your experience was at Standing Rock and uh, why this is significant as we continue this conversation about um, the emerging economy. So we'll be back in just a moment. Do you get choked up and flushed talking about money? Don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value. Speak up, sister. Find out how to boost your financial communication skills at 
www.findyourmoneyvoice.com. Perhaps you're like Gwen, a budding creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family, but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money Voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at findyourmoneyvoice.com. Hello, we are back with guest Judy Wicks, uh, founder of the White Dog Cafe, and uh, we are just exploring what is possible in a new economy and, uh, and the example of what she has learned in decades of doing business in a different, innovative, more feminine approach. And um, we, I, I would love to talk some more about your experience going to Standing Rock over Thanksgiving uh, because as many people are probably familiar with uh, this area in North Dakota where the indigenous tribes are resisting the oil pipeline from uh, coming through and threatening their water source. And this struggle is ongoing and has actually gotten quite uh, violent again in recent weeks. And it's happening all around the country. Here in Oregon, they're also trying to... Uh, push an oil pipeline in against the will of the people. And so I feel like this is such a significant um, way that we have seen how much uh, groundswell of support and generosity uh, we have seen and, and the spiritual and peaceful uh, emphasis that both the elders and the youth council has really, um, has really kept held that foundation there. And even in the face of great violence and um, extraction. Um, and so I, um, yeah, I'm curious to hear more about what you feel like what indigenous wisdom is, is bringing to us and what your experience was there at Standing Rock. Uh, sure, uh, Crystal. Um, so uh, the, um, the project I did at, at Standing Rock was to organize um, Thanksgiving dinner uh, to feed 2,000 water protectors uh, in the uh, Standing Rock High School uh, gymnasium, uh, and it was an amazing experience, um, uh, you know, to, to be there. And I guess, you know, um, what what uh, what was most um, meaningful to me uh, was to really witness the um, the culture that. Um, uh, was pervasive uh, in the camps at at, uh, at Standing Rock. It was a culture of um, of cooperation and sharing, kind of what I just talked about in terms of uh, my own awakening. Uh, but uh, this is a whole um, community uh, and a whole uh, you know uh, uh, way of being um, that is based on um, indigenous values of, of cooperation, of sharing, of uh, respect for Mother Earth, of respect for animals, of respect for uh, each other, um, and I feel that uh, what uh, the uh, the tribes have come together at Standing Rock are, are demonstrating is a is a way of life that 
um, the rest of us need to, to, to live by as well if we're going to survive. Uh, and I feel like, um, you know, right now with the threat of, uh, of climate change, um, that, you know, in, indigenous people are becoming more vocal uh, in protecting the, the land and there's more attention being given to them uh, because there's many of us who agree with what they're saying. Uh, that we need to protect Mother Earth, that um, and what they've been saying really for 500 years of oppression and genocide is that, you know, it, it, they continue to say that if we uh, take care of Mother Earth, that, that she'll take care of us. Um, and uh, white, the white settler mentality um, from day one has been to uh, dominate uh, and exploit nature um, and, 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 and with it the indigenous people. Um, and so, um, you know, I think that what Standing Rock is saying to us uh, is, you know, uh, well, number one, to protect what we love, to protect um, our water, uh, our land, our way of life, um, and um, to um, uh, look in our own communities uh, for the pipeline battles, uh, which they, they call the, the pipelines uh, the black snake and it's a Lakota prophecy, a thousand years old, uh, that a black snake would come up out of the earth um, and move across the land, um, uh, devouring and destroying everything in its path. And that if the people didn't unite uh, to um, defeat the black snake, that the world will end. And I think that's where we're at right now, um, that uh, the fossil fuel industry is the black snake. And that um, if the people in the world do not unite to defeat uh, the fossil fuel industry, uh, the world as we know it will end. Um, and so this is, uh, you know, this is the, the, the battle of our times. Uh, this is a fight for, the li- for life on, on earth. And uh, so I think I see that indigenous people are leading that battle, not just at Standing Rock, but all over the world in the Amazon and, um, you know, in um, the Far East, all, all over the world, it's indigenous people that are uh, standing up uh, for from Mother Earth, um, so uh, th- to me that's a that's certainly a, a big part of it. Um, and uh, but you know, on top of that, it's really a way, uh, as I said before, a way of life of, of of the way we need to treat each other, and, and not just around the uh, fossil fuels and defeating the black snake, but also in just the way we uh, the way we our, our way of being, our way of being with each other, and our way of being with with nature. Uh, mm. that it be uh, re- reciprocal, um, that we don't take more than we give, um, and, that our, and that our actions are based on love. And I think that's their, really their main message. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've been a long um, admirer of indigenous people. I spent a year in an Eskimo village in Alaska, um, and it was then that I first uh, lived um, in, a, in a culture that was based on, on sharing and, um, and cooperation. Uh, and that um, really, um, uh, that stuck with me. I, I didn't really even realize it at the time. I, mean, I was only 22 years old. Um, and, um, you know, when I left Alaska, I, I thought I was leaving behind that that way of life. But um, it, I think it uh, it stuck with me. <laughs> and I think, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was really the foundation for later making that decision to share with my competitors. Um, that's really uh, the way Indigenous people it's their, their, their natural way. I mean, talking about traditional indigenous people, I mean, not all indigenous people are the same, of course, just like everybody else. Um, yeah. But those indigenous people who have stayed close, close to the earth 
um, uh, certainly um, have maintained those values. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what uh, I also find significant is the intergenerational exchange and the way the youth council really um, brought, brought this, um, this movement and, and then was su- supported by the elders and uh, curious what you would like to share, you know, um, especially uh, why, why the intergenerational exchange is so important and, you know, why we need to build greater understanding and perspective uh, through connecting the, the elders with the rising generations. Yes, a very, very important point um, that uh, Standing Rock uh, was actually, uh, is really uh, uh, led largely by, um, by youth, um, uh, it was a, the, a youth group, the International Indigenous Youth Council, uh, that was involved with that. Uh, the run to um, there was a run, um, a long distance run to D.C. by Lakota youth uh, to take their Standing Rock message to Washington. Uh, but uh, in the regular um, deliberations and um, uh, articulation of uh, of their cause uh it's it's in many cases young people who are speaking you know for for the group and when when we were out there for uh the, i was there for a week uh in november and uh there was a press conference while we were there and i think there were five speakers and of the five four of them were were youth um and so it's a very important part of the movement there um and the intergenerational aspect is just so important not only uh, to empower their young people, but also to uh, the respect for uh, for elders and the wisdom of elders. Um, and I think that's another um, point that we need to learn because uh, in um, in white culture, it's often very segregated uh, that the, uh, young people don't work with uh, with um, with elders. Um, and it's it's really the the middle uh, the middle that um, are, have the power people you know they're in their middle aged that have the key jobs and uh, who are more um, I don't know more respected in a sense uh, because they're larger earners um, the elders are retired the young people haven't um, been you know successful in their careers at that point in their lives and so they're disregarded in our mainstream culture. And uh, again, we can look to indigenous people who really understand the, the wisdom of, uh, of women uh, and the wisdom of youth and the wisdom of the elders. So um, uh, in, in our, in our uh, work now, I mean, I, I feel like I see a lot of um, people my age, uh, you know, 70 or so, the baby boomer generation, uh, doing the same thing that our parents traditionally did and our grandparents, which is when you retire, uh, you spend your time and money going on cruises and trips and traveling and seeing the world and so on. And we can't do that now. I mean, that's, that would be like, you know, a, a going on a vacation during World War II. You know? I mean, we have a serious um, uh, life-threatening um, situation on our hands with climate change, and it's all hands on deck to, um, to confront uh, a climate change and, and to confront the fossil fuel industry to defeat the black snake, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, I don't feel that boomers should be going on, baby boomers should be going on vacations right now. We need to, we're the ones that don't have the responsibility of, of jobs and raising children uh, to deal with uh, like the younger people do. And so we're the ones that really need to step up and be supportive uh, to lend our 
our, our wisdom, our expertise of our, of our own experience, our, our money and our time, you know, to, to fight the black, black snake to defeat climate change. Um, mm. So, um, you know, I think that the intergenerational alliance is so important. Now, when I was a young person uh, during um, the 60s, we were at odds with our parents because of, uh, of uh, Vietnam and for some people also because of uh, civil rights. Um, and, you know, there, there, there was um, a fracture between the generations. Uh, but uh, now I think we, we have the opportunity. I feel very aligned with my children who are 35 and 37. Um, and I, th- I feel like our, our um, alignment comes largely around our concern for the environment. Um, and I feel like the most important thing that people my age can do is, is work with the millennials uh, to do what we can to uh, support them. Um, and not just in the the climate change fight, but in also in in in, in business and the uh, supporting young entrepreneurs uh, who mm. are uh, uh, building a new locally based green economy, uh, and that's mm. one of the projects that uh, I'm in, involved with as well. Great, yeah, I've I I would love to hear more about this aunts and uncles program and. Um, you know, it, it seems that really it's, it's doing just what you're speaking to. It's connecting these local entrepreneurs with, um, you know, local lenders who can offer advice, business connections and, and low interest loans. And I see that's so significant that we need each other and just really intentionally creating the trust between the lenders and borrowers and, making it more intimate. I mean, I think that's really what we need is, is a more intimate economy. So could you tell listeners more about that program? Yes. And it goes back again to um, that word relationships uh, that you used in the very beginning of our conversation um, that what we're trying to do with the circle of aunts and uncles is to provide for uh, low income entrepreneurs, what uh, upper middle class entrepreneurs get from their family members, which is, early stage, high risk microloans um, and advice and guidance. Uh, so uh, we formed the circle of aunts and uncles to be, to be um, like aunts and uncles um, to the entrepreneurs that we work with, that we call them our nieces and nephews. <laughs> you know, so we have a relationship based um, um, vehicle uh, for making uh, loans. But I'd say like the, and, and we make loans of um, a thousand to twelve thousand uh, dollars for three to five years uh, at three percent interest. And the aunts and uncles themselves don't collect the interest. Uh, the interest just goes to maintain our our fund uh, and to cover defaults, that kind of thing. Um, but beyond the the money, I think uh, more importantly uh, um, is uh, is the relationships uh, relationships that we build, you know, with the entrepreneurs. Uh, it's the social capital. Um, or the support that we give, the sharing of um, wisdom. And um, so uh, we have 35 uh, aunts and uncles who have each put up $2,000 um, about every, uh, well, we're about to do a second round, and it's been a, about, a, about a year and a half since we began the, began the program, and uh, the fund is getting down, so we're going to uh, do another round of, of uh, contributions. Uh, but... Um, our, our group, um, it's not many of us are, are retired entrepreneurs. I mean, there's only a few of us who are retired entrepreneurs. So we, we offer different uh, expertise. I mean, there's uh, someone that's uh, a lawyer. There's someone that's uh, an architect. In fact, we have two architects. Someone else is um, very involved in the arts world. And so 
depending on the entrepreneur and what their needs are, um, uh, different aunts and uncles might step up to be an advisor. Um, if they're looking for a new location and they need real estate advice or they need legal advice or, um, uh, or, or we might not have the advice within our, um, our network of aunts and uncles, but in our larger network of all of our friends. Um, so, you know, somebody is a, um, has a local bread company and uh, one of the aunts is a horticulturist and she happens to know where you can buy heritage grains uh, that are local in Pennsylvania. And so she makes that connection. Another aunt might um, have a friend that was in, uh, had a retail clothing store that could be a mentor to or an advisor to uh, a young entrepreneur who's starting a store. So it's that kind of uh, um, network of uh, relationships uh, that uh, support um, the next generation of, of, um, of local businesses. Um, and we focus on our local economy. So we're looking for entrepreneurs who um, are, are not those who want to grow their company larger and larger and sell to an, a multinational, but, but rather uh, entrepreneurs who are helping to build our local economy of locally owned businesses to um, to build our local self-reliance um, in, in food uh, and clothing. Those are the two areas that we've been focusing on. Um, so as an example, uh, the, the bread baker, um, not only does he make um, bread, um, hire local people to, and, and sell it locally, but he's buying his grains from local farmers as much as possible. He's developed a local supply chain. Same with a local ice cream company that we've uh, loaned money to. They buy their milk from local farmers that raise their cows on, on pasture um, out of doors. They're not uh, in factory farms where they're just hooked to a milk machine all the time. Uh, so it's, it's developing supply chains of, of shared values. Uh, again, it's back to that regional economy that we're trying to build or, or mm. local um, clothing manufacturer, um, a, a retail. She's a retailer, but she also um, uh, buys a, a local clothing. She designs and makes her, her own line of clothing, but she also uh, buys from other local designers. So, again, it's, it's, it's not just the retailer, but the supply chain that's local and sustainable and fair. Um, hmm. So you know it's it's a uh, it's it's been um, a great learning experience for for everyone really <laughs> that's involved with our our project. Wow, it's uh, it's like the exact op- opposite of predatory lending. It's actually right. Oh, yeah, intimate where you right. care <laughs> care about the person who you're connecting with, and it is about more about. Uh, not only about the money, but creating true value and wealth in the community. Um, would you like to tell people a little bit about um, Bali and uh, why, how and why it was created and why it's important today? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, you know, I started the Sustainable Business Network of Greater Philadelphia back in 2001, and it was an effort to um, reach out to other uh, business people that shared my values. Um, and that w- and measured success uh, not just by profit, but by what we call the triple bottom line of uh, people, planet, and profit. Uh, so we measure success not just by how much profit we have, but what is our impact on on people, you know, on our our employees, our suppliers, our customers, and what is our impact on on the planet, on the environment. Um, so um, uh, I saw that this was happening in. Um, various communities that I had uh, entrepreneurial friends who uh, were in Boston who did uh, had a similar local business organization. Um, so the idea of Bali, which is, stands for the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies, 
is to create a a, uh, a national, and actually it's, it's more than national, it's uh, uh, Canada and the United States both, um, alliance of these uh, networks that are um, building local economies uh, that we call them living economies because they support uh, life, um, community life as well as uh, natural life, um, and they're locally based. And I really believe strongly that um, many of the uh, issues that we're confronting today, whether it's um, inequality or um, uh, environmental uh, destruction and climate change and so on, uh, can, can be uh, addressed through uh, decentralizing our economy. Um, so uh, that's why I started Bali. I'm the co-founder along with um, a colleague in, in, in the Boston area who also started a, a business alliance in Boston. Um, so we started this, this national one um, to uh, share information between all the, the various uh, networks uh, who are uh, working locally in their communities to build local economies. And the, the larger uh, vision uh, that I had uh, in starting Bali was to see a global economy that rather than being controlled by these large multinationals that were that, that are shipping um, goods all over the, the world and really controlling uh, what we eat and what we wear and um, even controlling our government <laughs> you know, with a, um, you know, limitless money uh, being allowed in the political system. But that's a whole other story. But uh, anyway, I feel like in, in building local economies where basic needs are produced uh, locally, that we're, we're building uh, uh, local self-reliance in, in our basic needs so that the the global vision is that the, the global economy uh, is a, a network of sustainable or living uh, local economies uh, where basic needs are produced locally uh, through sustainable practices um, and so that we, for the most part, um, produce our food and uh, clothing, um, energy, and building supplies locally um, but then we trade globally uh, for what we don't have locally and what we have to offer that's unique about our own um, community, our own region, uh, whether it's a special cheese or wine or a special fashion or um, innovation by a, a local entrepreneur that uh, we, we, we still continue to, to, to trade globally, but we're not, our lives don't depend on it. Like our, our, our that we, we grow what our basic needs, what we, uh, we produce our basic needs locally. Um, so that's just kind of the basic concept of it. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think the whole idea of local economies is, is taking off. And it's, it's food that has led the way in this, that um, uh, buying at local farmer's markets and the whole idea of local food has become um, uh, really, um, um, you know, popularized. Uh, so I think and now clothing is becoming, um, is now beginning to uh, um to transition towards towards local it's a, a tougher one for for many reasons but um uh, energy as well is, is is being decentralized that uh we're beginning to realize that we uh it's not safe uh or nor sustainable for us to be uh, importing oil from uh, the middle east uh uh that we can we're 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 best off if we produce a renewable energy at the at the at the local level in fact the very local level if we put solar panels on, our, on the roofs of our houses, that the more we can decentralize energy, um, the, the, the more sustainable it is, for, uh, better for the environment, but it's also more, um, we have more self-reliance uh, when we, uh, we produce uh, energy um, as close to home as possible. 
Um, mm. So that's kind of the, the basic thinking but, uh, behind Bali. And we work in, I don't know how many networks there are now around the country, maybe 80 um, local business networks. And, and there's been an emphasis in the last few years on low-income communities and also on a real diversity of geography. So we have uh, networks in almost every state now. Um, you know, in, in the beginning, it was mostly uh, either in California or on the East Coast. But now we have uh, networks in the, in the Midwest and in the South, um, mm. as well as in Canada. Uh, so I, I do feel like that's a way of, of addressing um, climate change, that um, A, when we produce our basic needs locally, we're cutting down on, on the carbons that it takes to ship uh, basic needs around the world. But we're also preparing our communities uh, for the effects of climate change, which um, uh, to a large extent can't be stopped at this point. I mean, we, we know we're going to have increasingly erratic uh, weather. Um, and even if we, uh, be, we begin now with dramatic changes in, in the amount of fossil fuels with, that we burn, we're still going to feel the effects of what we've been doing for the last 100 years since the Industrial Revolution and, and our uh, weather, increasing uh, weather chaos. Uh, and that, that affects uh, long-distance shipping. Like, How can we, we uh, depend on long-distance shipping um, for things that we need to stay alive when weather conditions are becoming more and more uh, chaotic? So, um, you know, local economies, like I say, they're both addressing climate change by reducing carbons, but they're also preparing our communities for the effects of climate change. Mm. I love your creativity and innovation. I just hope this inspires people listening to get curious about what is possible because the economy has not always been structured this way. Money has always not not always been, you know, this debt-based fiat currency, and there's a lot of potential and possibility. And I love, as you described, this uh, valuing the the diversity. And actually, as we re as we localize, um, we are able to, I feel like, engage more of each individual's unique genius and really value that more and create uh, just a, a more of a sacred marketplace that can really enliven and enrich communities instead of the extractive economy, which has been sucking resources and uh, money from local economies for decades. And so I just encourage people to get curious and use your imagination and find your unique uh, role in, in how you want to bring forth a new world because we are truly at this evolutionary point of, of um, just needing to imagine what's possible because we are seeing how incredibly broken and um, basically impoverished uh, people have become from a lack lack of connection from from each other from their own self and body and lack of connection to the earth and I really see that poverty is um, causing a lot of suffering for people and I am just so inspired by what you have created and imagined to be possible. Um, I I'd love to also hear about. Um, your book and what people might expect to find uh, in the book and where they can buy that. Yes. Um, well, I'm very excited about my book. It's called Growing Beautiful Business. 
the um, uh, the unexpected journey of an activist entrepreneur um, and a local economy pioneer. Um, and it's uh, available in Southbound and Hardbound. Um, uh, it can be purchased from my web- website, which is judywicks.com, uh, or um, uh, most bookstores c- carry it. I always suggest that people go to their local bookstore, of course, at local independent bookstores as opposed to chains, um, and order uh, order the book there, Good Morning, Beautiful Business. But I think um, the, the listeners, uh, if they like this conversation, uh, would very much enjoy my book because it's, it's a memoir, so I tell my story. Um, uh, from my childhood up to um, the present day, um, and uh, you know how I arrived at these various conclusions about uh, a local economy. I have a whole chapter on my uh, year in the Eskimo village, and um, uh, several chapters on the White Dog Cafe, of course, and a chapter on Bali and how that was founded and what that does. And um, so it's, uh, I think, a very interesting, uh, interesting read, and I. Uh, I'm very excited that it was translated into both Chinese and uh, Korean. Um, and um, so, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I hope that uh, people might pick up a copy and, and uh, read it and share it. Hmm. I What I find so important about your story, who you are, and what you've created is that we need uh, these new uh we need to engage our storytelling capacities to create this other way of doing business together, of engaging, of defining what the economy even is. And I, I feel like that um, your story has really uh, brought so many of you know those things into fruition and they're obviously constantly evolving as far as the organizations and businesses that you've been involved with. But um, just, yeah, really encourage people to uh, get a glimpse at what is possible um, as, as we continue on here. Um, what, what else would you like to share in these last couple minutes? Any closing remarks? Well, I guess it would be um, for uh, for those out there who are uh, entrepreneurs uh, to to trust uh, trust your intuition. Uh, that I I found uh, that we we really know what to do um, deep inside when we listen to our own voices. Um, and then there's been times in my life where I, I went against my intuition because I thought, well, what do I know? Um, you know, or I heard somebody say something or read something and uh, figured, oh, that must be the way to do it, or you know, whatever. I mean, it, that didn't last very long for me. <laughs> but um, I learned to to listen to my my own inner voice, um, uh, to my own intuition, and to trust uh, to trust my intuition about uh, uh, what is called for, like what is called for now. Uh, to stop and ask yourself that question: What is called for now? Um, and listen to your to your own uh, voice. Um, so I think that's really important, and, and, to, and to you know follow our follow our heart to to lead with love. Uh, mm. I think is really important. This whole idea of, uh, uh, and I think that's where happiness comes from. Um, that when we lead with love, um, love for you know our community, love for for animals, love for uh, nature, for our world. Um, that um, you know, how can we go wrong? <laughs> you know, so yeah. I think it's very important to 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 lead with love. Um, and to um, 
and to follow our our, our own uh, intuition. Mm. And that really describes like that deeper satisfaction that we get that cannot be bought or measured in money when people are living on purpose, when they are offering their gifts and feeling like they are being valued. And I really see the challenges in the younger generations and and people my age who are, um, you know, burdened with student debt and um, struggling to find a way to offer their gifts, which are incredibly uh, important and yet may not fit into a certain box or title of the mainstream society. So I love that advice to really you know, encourage people to take that time to get quiet and to have the the spaciousness to hear the the longing of your own soul and how you want to contribute in a meaningful way. And um, I just feel like it is absolutely crucial for people to, um, yeah, take take that time and. And really also the, the theme of relationships, I encourage people and especially entrepreneurs to really um, find those trusted, integrous relationships uh, and, and really uh, use that as a foundation for your business and the way that you create value in the world and the way you cooperate and, and also that feminine capacity of listening to the needs of other people and empathizing. And that really informs what, how, how we can best be of service. And so finding that, that sweet spot where those two meet your, your unique gift and genius and, and then the need of other people. And I feel like you've, you've done that so um, so well, you really demonstrate how how that can be done, and I am just uh, so grateful for your visionary pioneering and all that you've contributed to creating more vibrant local economies uh, that will benefit all people. And uh, so appreciate your time today, Judy. And want to remind people, you can find out more at um, www.judywicks.com. And uh, we, oh, super inspired. Just encourage everyone to go ahead and and take some action towards uh, what your uh, greatest purpose and calling is, just as Judy has done in the past decades, and uh, and watch your life and business blossom. All right, thank you so much, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.